Well, hey, welcome back to the For Jesus podcast. My name is Luke Simmons. I'm one of the pastors at Redemption Church Gateway. And this is a podcast where we are pushing into the idea that all of life is all for Jesus. We want Jesus to be the energy, to be the strength, to be the engine behind all the ways that we live. So normally we're having conversations all about that, but we're in a season right now where we are looking at issues related to politics and to the election. As a church, it's a prayer initiative we're calling King Jesus 2020. And so today I am joined here in the studio by... Oh, wait, I guess I'm by myself. So it's just me today. Uh, my partners in crime are not here. Alessi is actually in class. She's got some class for her master's degree program. And uh, Reese, this is actually not his fault. I uh, did some screw-ups with scheduling. And so I'm solo in the studio today. So I'm sorry that you don't get to hear from those fun people. But here's what we're doing today is we are going to talk about some local issues. So most of the time when we think about politics, it is just all macro. It's national. It's president. It's Congress, it's uh, all that sort of stuff. But really, a lot of our lives is taking place much more locally. I remember the interview we did a few weeks back with Jim Mullins, where he said, you know, when he talks to people who are super charged up about politics, he says, well, how many of your local council people can you name? And so that's what this episode is about, is just some local issues. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start, first of all, with a conversation about the ballot propositions that are on the docket here in Arizona. And fortunately, this year, there's not too many. There's only two of them, Prop 207 about legalizing recreational marijuana and Prop 208, which is an increase in tax uh, to help fund education. So uh, to join us for that uh, is Chris St. John. Chris is uh, part of the team at Center for Arizona Policy, and he's going to shed some light. He and I had a conversation about that. And then uh, later in the program, we will be joined by Julia Wheatley. Julia is part of the Queen Creek Town Council. She's a council person there and also the vice mayor. And so I think it's going to be a fun set of conversations. So first, we'll kick it off with Chris St. John talking about the Arizona ballot propositions 207-208. Here's our conversation. Well, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Luke. It's awesome to have you here. Um, Chris, you're a member at Redemption Arcadia. I am. And work for the Center for Arizona Policy. I do. Yeah. So tell us about CAP and about what you do there. Yeah. CAP is a uh, Center for Arizona Policy is a public policy organization, which if you bump into somebody at a coffee shop and you say public policy, you don't necessarily know what that means. Mm. Uh, that might mean for some people, uh, sidewalks or highways, freeways, those kinds of things. I don't do that. Um, <laughs> Public policy for us means advocacy. So we stand up for the foundational values of life, marriage, family, and religious freedom here in the state of Arizona. And uh, I get to do a lot of our fundraising. I do a lot of the digital social media stuff, a lot of the outbound communications, and it's a lot of fun. Um, I didn't do uh, fundraising before. I was a pastor okay. uh, for a dozen years. And so the only fundraising I did before uh, this line of work was uh, praying for the offering. So I did <laughs> quite a pivot in my line of work. Which uh, kind of fundraising was easier? Um, praying for the offering? Great question. <laughs> I would have to say praying for the offering. Yeah, there's biblical commands to give to your church, yeah, but not far to more compelling. a uh, public policy organization. Exactly right. But I'm really thankful for you and for the work that you Thanks. guys do. And um, I wanted to have you on the podcast, especially to talk about these ballot propositions. Yeah. So this episode all about, is all about kind of local issues. When we think about politics and the election, you know, we're usually thinking about these highly nationalized things. 
we can forget the stuff that actually is local tends to even be sometimes more important or more connected to the way our lives flesh out. This year, there's only two ballot propositions. Right. That feels low to me. Is that low? Yeah, it is low, um, which is probably a good thing because then there would be more commercials on TV <laughs> than there already are. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I saw just the other day that there has been as many as 19 ballot props on the ballot in years past. Wow. So we have two. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah, totally. So I'll just kind of put my cards on the table and I don't have a Bible verse for this. So this is just kind of my perspective as a citizen is my default position on ballot propositions tends to just be no, Mm -hmm. Um, because it seems to me like the way our system is designed is that we elect representatives. Those representatives are supposed to uh, create laws, uh, form laws, uh, bring those into pass. And it feels like ballot propositions, a bit like executive orders, same kind of thing, um, or uh, judicial activists. It feels like all of those are kind of these ways of circumventing the the elected process. And so I remember a number of years ago when um, the state was going through some real difficult economic situations, but the legislature actually didn't have the power. They couldn't uh, couldn't adjust the budget entirely because so much of the budget was already tied up through things that had come into pass through ballot propositions. Mm And if it comes in through a proposition, it has to come out through a proposition. It just feels like it gums up the whole process. So my my general flinch is, hey, let's just vote no unless there's a super compelling reason. Um, again, I don't have a Bible verse for that. That's not thus saith the Lord, but that's my position. Does that, you hear that, does that, is that crazy? No, I don't think that's crazy at all. In fact, our default setting as a public policy organization is uh, to vote no on ballot propositions. Again, unless there is a compelling reason why uh, there should be a yes, and the burden of proof for anyone who has put forward a ballot prop is uh, that they would have to make a really, really good case yeah. for why sure. uh, one would vote yes. Uh, you know, uh, a ballot prop is voter protected once it is passed by the voters, and so that puts a lot of power in the hands of voters. And so, you know, when when we're already um, presented with a ballot that has ju- judges that are up for retention. And then in this, this year's case, we have the president and everything else right. and, and um, about, uh, overrides and all the different things that are on the ballot. Then we're presented with these uh, ballot props. It's a lot to consider. So we have to be educated. Um, so I'm with you. I would be a pretty hard no unless there was a compelling reason yeah. for a yes. So let's talk about these particular ones and maybe kind of use that as a sort of lens to look through is, is there a compelling reason to support these? Um, The first one is uh, Proposition 207, and I'll just read this ballot text is uh, how I have it. So this law would allow limited marijuana possession, use, and cultivation by adults 21 or older, amend criminal penalties for marijuana possession, ban smoking marijuana in public, impose a 16% excise task on tax on marijuana sales to fund public programs, authorize state and local regulation of marijuana licensees, and allow expungement of marijuana offenses. There's a lot there. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, though, it sounds to me like Proposition 207 is saying we would make it where you can use marijuana for any purpose, not just for medicinal purposes, but basically legalize recreational marijuana. That's absolutely correct. So that's the hundred word explanation, which is required under these, but the entire uh, ballot proposition for proposition 207 is 17 pages of legalese. Um, And the, the standard understanding that I would have is that if they really just wanted to decriminalize marijuana 
uh, and this is going to betray where I stand on this, guys, okay. but uh, is that it could all be done in one uh, clean sheet of paper. Mm. Uh, but it, they took 17 pages uh, to, uh, to get this out, and it really creates a lot of issues for the state of Arizona. So to get your cards on the table, and, and I'm in the same place, it would be to say our, my encouragement would be that people would vote no on Prop 207. Um, that would be yours yes, as well. Absolutely. This is actually the only issue that I ever, I think from the pulpit kind of encouraged people to vote a particular way back in 2016, um, was about this issue because, um, it just seems like, um, there's so much danger connected to, uh, the legalization of recreational marijuana. But before we get to that, maybe, maybe let's kind of go, what are the arguments for it? So sure. is there a compelling enough reason why people should say, yeah, you know what? We should vote for this. Yeah. What are the arguments for it? Well, um, you know, I, I just went straight to prop, the Yes on Prop 207's uh, webpage, and um, they presented some, some of their arguments uh, on, on one page. And so in a smart and safe and responsible way, Prop 207 legalizes the sale and possession and consumption of one ounce of marijuana, of which five grams can be concentrate for adults at least 21 years old. I mean, that's, that's their compelling argument that they present. So you're uh, saying it's, it's not that much? It's not it's that much. A little bit, one you know, ounce. one ounce. I mean, you can pick up one ounce of a pen, and it doesn't feel like a whole lot, but yeah. uh, one ounce of marijuana can can be as many as a couple hundred marijuana cigarettes. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. Okay. So they're saying, um, hey, it's not that much. Right. Um, the idea, I think, is there's some tax revenue here. They're saying, you know what, people are going to buy this anyway. There's a black market for it anyway. Um, why not allow us, you know, we, gosh, we could use the money as a, as a state government. Oh, absolutely. Why not, they're why not saying, take advantage of that? Sure. They're saying $300 million annually in new tax revenue to fund community colleges, public safety, public health programs, roads, and highways. Sounds great, right? I yeah. mean, $300 million. Who, what state doesn't need that? But any, it, any other um, things that could be maybe more compelling reasons why people would vote for it? Well, they also purport, uh, the yes side does, they say that it requires the Department of Health Services to limit the amount of THC, which is the chemical, as most people realize, that the chemical that's responsible for the high in marijuana uh, in the edible products uh, to the comport, comport to the national standard of 10 milligrams per serving. You know, again, sounds good because you never know what you're getting out there as, because as it is, it's currently a pretty unregulated product. Mm. Um, 10 milligrams per serving uh, sounds good, but right now that would be a, a tenth of a cookie uh, mm. in an edible. Uh, okay. You nor I eat a tenth of a cookie. Well, I eat the tenth and then I eat the second tenth. And I eat the third, tenth, and I keep doing that so that it feels like I'm not eating it like a big gross pig, but, there but no, I go. eat the whole cookie. That's, uh, that's me too. <laughs> okay, so those are some of the reasons, the arguments for it. Why would you say, and, and from Cap's perspective, why would you say, hey, this isn't a good enough reason? It, there, there's actually some real downsides to this. Well, you know, it, the 207 yes side, you know, claims that this is only for adults. And, you know, this is a 21-plus product. But we all know, just like with alcohol, it puts our kids at risk. This is a, it is a product that is harmful for kids because the edibles aren't just cookies. We see that they are gummy bears. They're gummy worms. They're, they're in shapes uh, that are, are 
attractive to kids. Um, and so as such, kids are going to get a hold of this stuff. And we know that THC, marijuana, is harmful to developing brains of kids. Yep. Uh, it makes, whether whether this product is regulated or not, it makes pot more accessible to kids. Uh, more kids are going to get high because the potency is higher right. in, in this kind of marijuana. But it also puts kids and the elderly at risk in care facilities, child care centers, mm-hmm. elderly care centers. You know, an example would be is that, you know, they can't smoke it or they can't ingest it at a child care center, at an elderly care center. But the way that this law is written is that it does not prevent someone from getting stoned or getting high before or after work. Mm. And there's no controls in place for Mm. that, the way that this law is written. I'm from Denver originally, and so I've followed Uh, this a bit closer. My parents part-time of the year in Phoenix, part-time are up there. And so, um, you know, Colorado was one of the earlier states to adopt something similar to this. And I know that they had just a huge surge in emergency room visits of little kids Mm -hmm. who had said, oh, look, gummy bears, and down a whole package of edibles and end up getting really sick, um, having, you know, significant problems. And, um, man, that just seems like, that seems like a huge issue. It's massive. And I tell you what, we were in, in 2016, Arizona was the only state in the United States to vote down recreational marijuana which I think is is pretty incredible. We had a meeting uh, of pastors uh, that uh, CAP convened with Governor Ducey, and um, there was one leader in that room who told the story, so to hit really close to home with what you're saying, Luke, um, that had a, the, this pastor had a, has a granddaughter who took in, ingested a piece of candy that was laced with THC, mm-hmm. and that child ended up in, in the hospital. So, I mean, there, there are stories that hit close to home where this isn't just somebody else's kid. This isn't just somebody on the news that that happens to. Yeah. It hits close to home, and it will happen mm. if we pass this here in Arizona. So it's dangerous to kids. Any other significant reasons why yeah. we should resist this? Oh, my goodness, absolutely. It'll put put us all in danger on the road. And the reason being is, um, again, you can, you can take a, a marijuana cigarette, you can smoke it, you can ingest it um, before you get in the car. There's no nothing that prevents you from uh, getting high before getting behind the can wheel. Can you do it in the car? That is a great question. Um, I, I see no nothing in the law that says that you cannot okay. smoke it in the car. So you could be driving under the influence of THC. Absolutely. And um, But there's not really, there's no breathalyzer for that. There's right. no standardized sense of exactly. here's how much is intoxication. Precisely right. And it removes the current standard that has been very effective in deterring impaired drivers from prosecuting a, mar- a marijuana driving under the influence regulation at this wow. point. So yeah. And there's also no roadside, roadside tests available to measure marijuana impairment because it's not like alcohol where you can blow a .08 and, ver- and, you know, and demonstrate to a, an officer on the side of the road that you're drunk. That it just doesn't work that way with THC. Well, one of the arguments that I feel like I hear at kind of a popular level for legalizing marijuana it re- relates kind of what you just said about alcohol. People go, you know what, we have alcohol and, uh, you know, you can use it responsibly or you can use it irresponsibly and the government regulates that and the government ta- taxes that. And, uh, w- you know, this is just kind of the same thing. You know, it's like tobacco, it's like alcohol, you know, just do the same thing with marijuana. How is this law, Prop 207, actually show that the approach to marijuana here is really actually pretty different than the approach to alcohol? 
That's a great question. I mean, it, it just, it's going to have a negative impact on our economy without a doubt. I mean, it creates a monopoly. It imposes taxes. It, it, it actually allocates no money to K through 12 education. And, and just these talking points that, that go, that are, are sent across the airwaves over and over, um, how it's going to benefit our state. You know, this, this is something that, uh, it creates a right to have marijuana, whereas we don't have a right to con- consume alcohol. It is a controlled substance across the United States, also in the state of Arizona, but in this law, the way it's written, there is a right to have uh, marijuana growing in your backyard, whether you have an HOA that says that you can't or not. I mean, just a number of, of very carefully written things. This was written by the marijuana industry for the marijuana industry. It does not benefit you and me yeah. in a way that blesses and creates flourishing here in our state. Yeah. Um, before we move to, to Prop 208, any other kind of big things that you want to make sure we understand about Prop 207 before we head to the ballot box? Yeah, I, I mean, I just, I think... As we look at other states, there, you know, the example, I mean, you mentioned being from Denver, you know, in Colorado, near, nearly 70% uh, of people that use marijuana admit to driving stone. So even just back to uh, the driving aspect and, and fully a, th- a third of people drive stone daily. I mean, this is not something that is going to create a better Arizona. It's, this is not going to make Arizona a, bl- a better place to live, work, yeah. and, and flourish. Yeah. And so why would we want, and I, that's something I just want to leave your listeners with, is why would we want something like this in our state? Yeah. When I feel like from a biblical perspective, you know, we're not commanded against drinking. We are commanded against drunkenness or exactly. being kind of controlled Right. Paul says, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the spirit, be controlled by the spirit of God rather than some substance. What's always been perplexing to me is, is how much THC do you take before you're stoned from it or controlled by it? Or, you know, and, and when we're talking about medicinal purposes, it feels like an entirely different conversation, right? I've had people in our church who have been suffering from cancer and nothing is working. And they say to me, Hey, I really, my doctor's saying I should take this. I don't know how I feel Mm -hmm. about it. And I say, well, listen, don't violate your conscience but I don't think there's anything wrong with doing this with a doctor's supervision and a prescription and doing all that sort of stuff. This is something totally different where we're saying um, voting for this is essentially saying we want to promote the use of people being under the influence of stuff with no ability really to regulate it, um, as well as the danger that it's going to negatively affect kids and, and young people. Uh, as their brains develop, that just does not seem wise. It does not seem wise. And, um, you know, one of the other things that, that I want to make sure that people do understand as it relates to the medical marijuana here in Arizona, we've had medical marijuana in Arizona for 10 years. This has nothing to do with medical marijuana. And that has demonstrated a benefit for people that need it. Right. You know, whether it's somebody that has glaucoma or, you know, back pain or other issues, I mean, seizures, lots sure. and lots of other issues. So this has nothing to do with that. This is turning a drug into something that is used for recreational purposes. And that that is completely counter gospel. Yeah. Well, let's go to one that feels a little less clear to me, Yeah. Um, which is Prop 208. And uh, here's, let me just read the ballot text of that. So this uh, law, Prop 208, would impose a 3.5% tax surcharge on taxable annual income over $250,000 for single persons or married persons filing separately 
or $500,000 for married persons filing jointly or heads of household to increase funding for public education. So if I'm understanding that, it's basically saying, um, depending on whether you're single or married, um, if your income is over a certain level, there's an additional 3.5% tax that would increase funding for public education. And um, again, I come at this less from a moral perspective. I don't have a, you know, I've, the only verse I have really about taxes says render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Sure. And if we all decide that this is Caesar's, then hey, I'll pay it. I, well, I don't make enough money for that, but I would pay it if I did. And uh, so I don't have a, as strong of a like moral conviction here. Mm-hmm. Um, here's where I probably default on the eh, default. No, if this was really a great idea, maybe our legislative body should bring it about and bring it into law. Um, but what insight would you give us on this one? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right, Luke. And this is not one that we're going to, as an organization, say, let's let's raise taxes. Let's let's everybody go out and vote yes on Prop 208. In fact, we're a, we're a hard no on this one too. Uh, but at the same time, we're not a hard no on it for identically the same reasons because of what you just described. There isn't that moral component. But at the same time, I, w- I would also posit that this d- is not good for Arizona for for some of the some of the same reasons. In that, do we want to burden families with with more taxes? Do we want to burden more of these small businesses with additional taxation? And and I think the answer is no. And and so. For example, you know, in in 2016, the passage of of Prop 123 put 3.5 billion into K-12 education over over 10 years. Now, CAP did take a yes position on Prop 123 in 2016, and it, that was a very uh, long, thought out, um, deliberate decision by our organization, including our board, before we took that position. But what that did is it got our our educational funding back to pre. Um, um, two, 2008 levels because yeah. of the economic downturn. Right. Um, and we had the access to those kinds of funds in order to do that. In 2018, Governor Ducey signed a bipartisan 20-year extension of Prop 301 uh, that got us uh, $684 million. And then he did the 20 by 20, 20 uh, pay raise for all public school teachers. Yeah. Now, one thing I want to just really make clear is that Center for Arizona Policy, we do not take a value statement on any type of education. So, mm. um, you know, we're champions of public uh, of public school, homeschool, yeah. online school, charter school, uh, Christian school, certainly. And so we do a lot of things to to help parents be in the driver's seat of the types of education that they want to um, get their kids educated in whatever uh, fashion they're, they're choosing. So we're not on a no on this uh, prop because we're anti-public school. I just want sure. to be really clear about that. But... Um, People who have crunched a lot of numbers, and I'm not a numbers guy. That's why I think God called me to ministry <laughs> and then to, to this kind of work. But somebody uh, who is a lot smarter than I said that 55% of this funding goes to classrooms. Hmm. So, you know, at the end of the day, 45% of this is going to go to administrative overhead. Yeah. That, I mean, that's just not great stewardship. And then you're also tying uh, this to a, an income tax, which is very volatile anyway. Sure. It just, it, it doesn't make sense. So at the end of the day. Um, Wouldn't it be a, a lot of the small businesses, which tend to be correct. kind of more connected to your personal income. Yeah. End up being a lot of the people bearing the bearing the brunt of it. Yeah, I feel torn because as a kind of political conservative, I'm, you know, lower taxes yes. and that sort of thing. Uh, my parents were both school teachers. 
And the way I grew up there, it was always like, hey, if there's something that will add funding to education, you vote for it, right? And so, um, I, you know, that's the kind of thing. On this, something like this, I'm a little more torn about. Um, but for me, I kind of go, well, if, if we should do this, then let's just do it the, through the legislature. Right? Right. Let's, let's, and maybe there's a reason at this point that the legislature isn't willing to take this kind of thing on because, you know, maybe they know that raising taxes is not always a, well, and how a great often, political move. No question. And how often have we seen when Congress can't get something through then it oftentimes we'll see the uh, Supreme Court right. then enact it. I mean, yeah. Roe versus Wade is a great example. That was sure. something that could have never been passed through Congress in 1973. So right. uh, they became a de facto uh, legislative body. Well, that's in essence what is happening here with a Prop 208, that yeah. the legislature doesn't have the political will to pull the trigger on something like this, a 3.5% tax on, on people and businesses. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're kicking it to, um, the, to the voters. Yeah. So to kind of summarize on this, I think what we're both saying is we feel a, a pretty high level of kind of moral authority around saying no on Prop 207. Right. Um, a little less of that authority on 208. Like it's probably more of a wisdom thing and a preference thing. And, um, you know, a, let's try to look at the goods and what comes of it, but not quite as much of a biblical conviction there. Right. Um, but, uh, man, Chris, I really appreciate you coming by and oh, it's uh, been a stopping with this. Yeah. Any other things you want to say? No, I just, um, we, we appreciate you and, and what you're doing in this podcast is great. And as you guys are, are really, um, just messaging practical tools for, for the body of Christ right now, especially, I mean, there, there's just not an area where, where the Lord doesn't say mine and that mm. includes politics. Yep. And, um, so I really hope this is a useful tool as people are contemplating and making their decisions and getting their ballots in the mail or going to the ballot box on November 3rd. So keep up the good work. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot. All right. All right. Well, hopefully that was a helpful conversation with Chris. I know I enjoyed it and was uh, encouraged by the conversation. Good to make the distinction, too, about what has moral authority and biblical authority and what's more of just a wisdom type issue. Well, listen, in this next conversation, this is really fun. I got to have a conversation with Julia Wheatley. She's a council member of the town of Queen Creek and just reached out to her. She actually said, you know what? No one's ever asked to do something like this. I've never gotten to do a podcast. And so she was eager to be part of it. And um, I think it's just a great uh, insight. A lot of us, you know, most of our images of town council come from Parks and Rec and watching TV shows like that. Um, but uh, I think you'll just be encouraged by the, just the quality of person that she is and uh, give you even some ways uh, that one question I asked her just to tease this for you is, uh, Hey, is there any specific recommendations you'd have for people of faith about how we could engage in the local community? So I think you'll be intrigued by her answer. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Julia Wheatley. Well, hey, I'm here with Julia Wheatley, who is the vice mayor and a council member of the town of Queen Creek. Julia, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Luke? I'm doing great. Welcome to the For Jesus podcast. And uh, you're actually talking to us today from Mexico over fall break. Man, what an honor that you would uh, give some of your time to us this uh, this week. So thanks. You're sure welcome. I'm happy to. So, Julia, in uh, I was trying to do a little bit of background research just uh, to kind of get to know you. You grew up in Gilbert. Is that correct? That's correct. Where, yeah. Where did you go yeah, to high Gil school? I went to Gilbert High and right. um, go Tigers. And my right? family moved. Go Tigers, exactly. Yeah, um, my family moved there to Gilbert. There was five thousand people in Gilbert when we moved there. Oh, so, wow. um, so it was pretty small, and it reminds me a lot of the way Queen Creek is 
now or, or mm. has been over the past few years. So a lot of similarities in that, in that aspect. Yeah. So you, you grew up in Gilbert and then moved to Queen Creek. Uh, I don't know, 2007, I think is what I read. And, that's, um, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So then how did you go from there to saying, you know what, I'd like to actually serve on the town council. So I knew getting involved in local politics is something I wanted to do. My father actually served, um, on the council in Gilbert growing up and, okay. um, and he actually served as vice mayor as well. And so at a young age, I was always, um, I, I saw my dad and my parents being involved in things at a local level. Um, also just really supporting other candidates. He got to a point where, um, you know, he served and it does, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. Um, Picked away from the family, things like that. So it is a, it is a sacrifice. And so at that point, he, for him, he enjoyed supporting other good candidates and mm. and helping them get into office. But yeah, so it was something I I knew I would like to do at some point. Um, and I was actually I had actually just had my first child. Oh wow! And I. I stopped working so that I could have her and she was only three weeks old. And I was thinking, okay, what am I, you going to, what am three, I going to do three, next? Three weeks post uh, delivering a baby. I feel great. Let's do something. <laughs> I feel great. Exactly. Awesome. So, um, and so I was starting to realize, Hey, I'm going to have some, some time on my hands and I'd like to be able to contribute and get involved. And, and that's when the wheels kind of started turning. And so, mm. um, I think it was a lot sooner or younger than I had anticipated, but the timing felt felt good, felt right, and um, and so I just dove in at, at first. Wow! So, what, what was the first year that you were on the town council? Was it 2010? So it was 2010. That's right. 2010. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what's it like? So, to, what's it like to run for local office? I mean, you're not, um, you're not blitzing the media airwaves with uh, negative ads or anything. So what's that? Yeah, like? ex- exactly. It's, um, it's running an election is an extremely difficult process, even in a small community like ours. Um, the big thing is just trying to get out and talk to as many people as you can and, and figuring out what their issues are are and what um, things that they would like to see either done better or done differently mm. and um, and what impacts them because for everyone it's it's entirely different and and there's really not an issue that has more or or less importance when you're talking to that person about um, what's most important to them mm. well and I, I know for me I, I think I've met a few of the council folks and just those short uh-huh. interactions have made a huge difference like because I don't know all the ins and outs of all the different issues that come, but you kind of go, well, I've met that person. I like that person. I'll vote for that person. So it seems like a yeah. lot of it is probably just honestly getting FaceTime and meeting people probably. Well, and that's what's, what's beautiful about our council. Our council is incredibly accessible, incredibly transparent um, from being active on social media to, I mean, telephone calls to emails to and being in such a small community whenever whenever I go to church or whenever I go uh to a town event or the grocery store quite often yeah um 
the, the story of our lives and our families, all council members know it well, that it takes us a lot longer to go and do anything <laughs> just because people, yeah. you know, they'll see us and they'll ask questions or want updates or things like that. And, and your, ki- um, your kids are rolling their eyes. Oh, here we go again. <laughs> exactly. So um, it's, it's really just, just being having that accessibility is mm. is huge, and um, well, even your even your willingness to do this uh, interview is a great example of that. So thanks. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I think it. I look at it as a way to help anyone have the desire to get involved or want to know more. Um, you know, at a at a federal level, and really, ultimately, this is what got me wanting to serve is you see so much happening at a federal level that just seems just absolutely ridiculous on the, on either sides of, of the aisle. But, um, and you feel so helpless. You feel like there's nothing you can do and you can't make a difference. And what is one person? And so you have those, those feelings that kind of make you spiral. And it's like, okay, if I can't just jump in, and, and help at a federal level or even a state level, what can I do at a, at a local level that can make a difference? And that's, that's what helps me kind of reel it in to say, okay, I don't, I don't absolutely agree with everything happening at those other levels, but what can I do at the level that impacts me and my family and my neighbors and my closest friends the most? Yeah. And that's a local level. And that's truly to me what is, so just beautiful about local level and people have asked me, you know, do you want to go on and this and that? I, I love the local level. I love it. Great. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I love that. I mean, I, I love as a resident of Queen Creek, I'd like the idea that people really care about Queen Creek and aren't just using it as a personal stepping stone though. Of course that happens, but um, yeah, I, I love that. So, so you're a town council person, but then I also saw that you are the vice mayor right now which looks like that's mm-hmm. something that's appointed by the mayor. That's not an elected it role. Is. And you do that for one no. year. What, what is that? What's, what does that mean? Yeah. So he, um, the, at the mayor's recommendation, he'll, he'll make a recommendation for vice mayor and then um, the rest of the council votes on it. And so I've been able to serve as vice mayor for a year, a term prior, and then this term as well. And this has been interesting because obviously we're in the middle of, of COVID and, and, um, so everything looks different. So normally being vice mayor, it's a lot more meetings, um, more regional committees, things stepping in for the mayor when he can't attend. Um, so you're saying this this was a good year to end up being vice mayor. (laughs) Well, it's more (laughs) zoom. Okay. The zoom conferences we've all known, grown to know and love. So, um, so yeah, so whenever he, it's something he can't attend, then I step in for him. I do more speaking events and, and, and yeah, regional committees and yeah. Well, as I just look through your bio, I mean, it's incredible the diversity of issues and, and different things that you're connected to. I mean, bachelor's in legal studies, criminal justice, that sort of stuff. Um, you're doing a master's now in public administration. You're on the budget committee, um, military affairs, courts, public safety. I mean, you're doing a bunch of stuff. Um, and, and so I guess I'd be curious, what is a week in the life of a 
council person look like? Oh, it's, it's so different from, from week to week, but, um, our, our primary functions are our council meetings, which if you hadn't have, if you haven't had a chance to attend, um, they're, I think, Quite I've, I think I've I been think to so. one. I prayed at one okay. and to, oh, know, did the invocation and then uh, stayed for a little bit and then, uh, yes. you know, took off. But, yeah, they're intriguing. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting when there's certain interesting topics um, that it's fun to sit and listen. Other, other times it might seem a little long and monotonous for some. But um, so those are important. And then and we we get our agendas about a, a week and a half in advance. And so reading through that agenda, um, seeing the issues that are going to be presented before us, doing all of our research on those issues, and um, talking to residents, like I mentioned, just being accessible to, res- to residents. The, the biggest thing, and I'm sure we'll probably get into this later, but um, when we're making votes, when I'm making votes on behalf of the community, I really need that weigh-in from the community. And so um, just getting that feedback is so vital for us as council members yeah. to to have those voices correctly represented. Sure. Um, but I do, I do go to a lot of meetings. Um, and some, none, none of this is full-time, right? I mean, this is all kind of on the side of exactly, everyone's life. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So, well, in case so, I don't get to um, say it later, just thank you. <laughs> I mean, thank you for giving that much time. Um, I mean, that's that just I'm I'm already tired just thinking about all the things you have to do, <laughs> plus your life and your four kids and and all that sort of stuff. That's yeah, that's amazing. Well, I appreciate that. I really do because we don't hear it that often. We we get um, criticism, you know, when when people don't like things going a certain way. Sure. Which is good because it it lets us know how to um, correct, adjust, and move on. But those thank yous every now and then really do do go a long way. So I do appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, but we'll but we'll have our our local committees like economic development or parks and recreation. Um, so so local communities, but also regional. Um, committees as well and you touched on on several of those so yeah it's really important for for queen creek to have a seat at the table with these regional players Mm, um, whether it's maricopa maricopa county or whether it's gilbert or or phoenix or um i mean so many different regional committees and associations that that do the East Valley, the Valley really in a whole works fantastic together, but specifically the East Valley does as well. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of other states that look to what we do in the East Valley and how well Mm. we get along and and work together. And it really is something that is, um, it's not that common. So, well, and man, that's so important because it's also intertwined. I mean, you got school districts and you got, it's all just kind of overlappy. There's tons of places where you're not even sure what city or town you're in. And so I'm, I'm glad about that. You, you mentioned exactly. earlier, you mentioned earlier the, um, just the importance of community engagement and involvement and 
you know, giving voice and stuff like that. So one of the things I, I was curious about is what are some things that you wish more citizens knew about and cared about and acted on as it relates to just issues in local government? That's a great question. Um, I, I think the biggest thing would be just getting the information, going to the correct sources to get the information. Mm. Like I kind of touched on before, it's, it's difficult when residents come after the fact. Because we do, <laughs> as a yeah. town level... Right. <laughs> Feedback is good level, before we, the decision's made, is what you're saying. Exactly, exactly. As a town level, we, um, we do a lot to engage our citizens. And so, um, and so there's a, a large public process that typically each issue goes through. And, um, and so just taking the time to get enough information to be educated about it. And I think, um, especially with social media, things just, things just kind of take off like wildfire. Sure. And then when you go back and you get, actual details or information around it it's like oh okay that makes sense or if you message or email a council member and they can kind of explain the background and it's like okay that that makes sense that's logical that's what that's what i needed but um as far as issues to to care about there's there's so many and and like i said for everyone it's different but i would say that would be that would be the biggest thing for me, just um, just taking the time to, instead of jumping on a bandwagon, just to step back and say, okay, what is what is this, what are the details surrounding this? Let me let me gather that from town website or from a yeah. council member or something, and um, and then go from there. Yeah, so I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sort of sounds like you're saying, you know, it's not about any particular issue. I just want people to be informed about whatever issues they're caring about and um, exactly. to try to do what they can to learn and to engage. And even just that engagement seems like a really important part of the process. Absolutely. Because we, I mean, at the end of the day, and it's a bipartisan position, but at the end of the day, we have our beliefs and our convictions and our core values and but we're there to represent the the residents of Queen Creek and so we're missing half of that equation if if it's difficult to get um that feedback Mm. well one of the things we talk about as a as a local church is just um having a desire over the next decade to really try to be one of the best friends that this community has um and that feels like kind of a lofty, almost, almost outlandish thing to say. Um, but that is kind of our desire. And, um, I guess I'd, I'd be curious from your perspective, is there any particular role that you think people of faith can play in helping the local community? Um, whether that's related to government or just other ways that, um, you see, you know, people of faith really having a special role to play. We get, um, volunteer hours which are fantastic it saves i mean it's beautifying the community saves a lot of tax dollars with with things that we would have to put our money towards um 
but thinking about that question, the biggest thing that comes to mind is just being prayerful, prayerful towards um, any elected official, mm. whether you agree with them or not. Um, I think it's, I think it's so, I think that's key. It just, it just is. And, um, mm. that's, that. you know, from a position of the, the president of the United States, he needs our, he needs our prayers. Sure. Regardless of, of how you feel about him. Right. Um, and I would say that goes all the way, all the way down to, to local office. And, um, and I think the biggest thing would be as well, people of, of faith, knowing um, just not to be judgmental of one another and, and to assume people have the best, um, best interests at heart. And if they feel otherwise to, like I mentioned we're we're accessible reach out send an email hey what was what was your thoughts behind this vote or did you consider such and such and um it goes it goes a long way it really really does so that would be the biggest thing um and i think that definitely cuts down on the divisiveness Mm. that we're feeling overall as a country is just taking a step back and realizing, okay, these are just, they're just individuals, they're humans, they're doing what they think is, is best, but maybe there is a different perspective they haven't considered. Mm-hmm. And I know it, I know it takes time and I know overall people, I think it politics are one of those things people just want to throw their hands up. And I, like I said, I mentioned it. I'm, I feel that at other levels as well, just throw my hands up. But, um, you know, you give it a day, let it simmer. And then, okay, what is a better approach? How can I, if I don't like that, how can I help remedy it? And maybe the vote doesn't get reconsidered, but I've, I've put that additional information and thoughts and and feelings in the minds of those that are making the decision. I love that for people of faith to, to pray and to believe the best, you know, and the Bible actually has a lot to say about both of those things. Um, I know as a leader, there's a huge difference between somebody who is asking for clarification on something from a vantage point of, I trust you, I believe the best about you versus someone who has already put on the lenses of suspicion and mistrust. Mm -hmm. And now it's kind of attacking. And I feel like people of faith, especially should be the people who give the benefit of the doubt and sure ask questions and clarify. But uh, be doing it prayerfully, doing it lovingly. Hopefully, uh, we can help kind of lead the way on that. So, I've got a couple. I've got two more kind of weird questions. Okay, so okay. and this will uh, maybe we'll finish here. So, first question is: What's the strangest thing that's ever happened at a town council meeting? <laughs> oh, I wish I had really strange things to cite. Um, other than the time I came to give the invocation and people are like, what did he just which, do? You, you, which probably, you wouldn't I remember do, that. I do but love okay. that. But I anything, do love that. And we, anything crazy and happened ever? Yeah, you know, someone show up in a chicken suit or I don't know. No, uh, you do see, you do see those snippets every once in a while on, 
on um, YouTube or whatnot. We haven't had anything like that. We have had to relocate our meeting to library because of a massive bees nest in the um, council chamber. Oh, so okay, that's exciting. <laughs> I'm digging that the yeah. bees nest. Wow. Yeah. So, but nothing like outlandish or okay or or wild that that I, comes to mind. <laughs> I guess I've watched too much Parks and Rec and uh, you know seen how the town council meetings go. <laughs> there. Um, all right. So here's my second question. This is on behalf of my 11 year old daughter, Caitlin. So, you know, we're driving around, we're seeing these signs everywhere for all the politicians and we keep asking what happens to these signs afterward. And so my daughter has this idea to start a business where for maybe like 25 cents per sign, she would collect all the signs for the various, uh, you know, campaigns, because a lot of the signs get reused, it seems like, uh, every uh-huh. however often. And so I guess my question is, would that be a good business? And do you have any recommendations for her if she were to pursue that? That would be a fantastic business. Um, and my husband would wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> oh, so, so we have it on the record here. You can be our first client. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I, um, I personally saved my signs, um, and I've reused them for other campaigns, but, um, sure. when I've ran for future terms and so, yeah, but there are, well, there's candidates that, that just leave theirs and they don't take them cam- down and oh, then the I, town I has to exhaust. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have to exhaust our resources and again, tax dollars to take them down. And, um, and so, no, I, I love that either putting them up or just taking them down, but I'm sure it would be a fantastic business where you just approach the candidates and say, Hey, we'll collect these for you. And, okay. and, um, all right. Well, yeah, we'll, I love we'll, it. We'll tell her, <laughs> we'll tell her to keep pursuing her dream then. But, uh, yes. Yeah. Tell well, her Julia, she's we, got her first customer. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So we, uh, we just really appreciate you. Appreciate you taking the time and, uh, especially while you're on fall break with your family and, um, man, we will be praying for you and for the rest of the team there that's helping lead the town. And, um, yeah, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us. You're sure welcome. And thanks for the invite. This is, it's been a lot of fun. Something new for me. I like that. <laughs> cool. All right. We'll take <laughs> All care. All right. Bye-bye.